Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good? Yeah. Open your Bibles up to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We've been talking for a while now about spiritual giftings and, and, and things of the Spirit. We're going to start talking today um, a little bit about the gift of prophecy. It's the one that we're actually uh, told uh, especially to desire in the Bible. Um, and it's in your Bible, I promise. Uh, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. This is not a letter to the disciples, you know, the 12 that walked with Jesus. Um, this doesn't say you know, for the next five years only or anything like that. It doesn't pre-qualify it. He, he starts this, this letter saying to the church, at, at, uh, to the saints of the church of Corinth, and then he speaks to them, and then we read these letters and we take his instructions to us. So um, chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love. You earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Oh God, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that you're so clear. God, in that where, where we may not think that there's clarity, God, that if we seek you, your spirit brings clarity. And I thank you, God, that as I speak today, we would hear your words, God, that, that, that what I'm saying would be directly from your heart for us as a body, God, for where we are and for what you want to do in us and through us. And I just ask that, that our minds would be able to, to understand that we have the mind of Christ that we can understand the things of the Spirit because we have the mind of Christ and, and that our hearts would be good soil, God, that the seed of your word would be planted in our hearts and it would produce fruit, God, that a world that is dying and doesn't know you would taste the fruit of our lives and see that you are good. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so, so Paul's writing this, and he says, Pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts. If you weren't here last week, it's on podcast. We talked about the whole idea of love, why he sandwiched a chapter all about love in between talking about spiritual giftings and then talking again about spiritual giftings. Um, so if you weren't here last week, you can get that on the podcast. But basically what he's saying is, listen, make the pursuit of your life love. Make sure that in the things that I'm teaching you about and the things that I'm writing to you about and in your excitement about spiritual gifts or, or being used or any of those things, make sure that in that process that you never take your eyes off of what's the most important thing, and that's love. Why? Because he is love. And we were created in his image and in his likeness in the garden. And then Jesus died so that we could be restored and so that everything that was lost could be restored. And so if what was lost was restored with the death of Jesus and with our new birth, then that means once again we are created in the image and in the likeness of a God who says he is love. So if in the goal of, of, of our life is to pursue him, is to become like him and to become love. And so the reason he's saying this is, listen, because if you lack that, you can go after the other things and maybe even re sometimes people receive the other things. But if you lose the heart of love, they actually can become something that's harmful or it can be something that you find your identity through. And so you spend your life convinced that you're this because of this gifting and you're missing out on all of that. Think about it. Every single miraculous thing the disciples did, Judas did with them. It didn't say, and he broke the bread and gave it to all the disciples except for Judas. And as they were handing it out, it began to multiply and there was constantly more bread. Judas was actually feeding the 5,000 right along with the rest of them. Judas was out prophesying when he said he sent them out and they came back and said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said, Re rejoice not in that, but rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. What was he saying to him? He was saying, listen, don't be excited about what you see happen. Be excited about the reason it's happening. It's because of the authority that I've given you because of who you are. Judas was with them. And yet in the end, none of that profited him anything. That's why Paul said, if I speak with the tongues of angels or have faith so that I can remove mountains, but I have not love, I have nothing. What's he saying? I don't care if you multiply food. I don't care if you cast out demons, heal the sick, and raise the dead. If you didn't become the thing that you were created to be and you don't have the thing that God wanted you to have from the beginning, which is love, none of that matters. Saul goes up and sees the prophets and begins prophesying and then tries to kill the one anointed by God because of jealousy, anger, 
because of insecurities. He goes and prophesies and then promptly comes down from prophesying with the prophets and disobeys God and does the exact opposite of what the prophet of God instructed him to do. What good did prophecy do him if he wasn't actually seeking after the Lord? What good did it do Judas if in the end he sold him for 30 pieces of silver? Nothing. Because somewhere along the way, somehow people get convinced that a gift is proof of something. It's proof of the power of God. But you could spend your life pursuing them and not end up with the one thing that you were created for if you're not careful. That's why he says pursue love and desire earnestly spiritual gifts. Why? Because spiritual gifts are an amazing way to love people. And if your goal of your life is to love people, spiritual giftings are an amazing way to be able to do that. Think about how, how amazing is it for somebody to come up to somebody and pray for them and see them healed and to know this person came up, even if they don't get healed in the moment. You know, that's a big thing. People are like, well, what if I pray for somebody and they don't get healed? What's the worst case scenario that you pray for somebody? That they know that somebody that doesn't know them, loved them and cared them enough and believed what their God said enough that they actually dared to make a fool of themselves in public and risk being ridiculed and shamed because they were convinced that not only was that person worth it, but that the God who created them thought they were worth it and loved them. Well, how do you lose? It's such a, it's such a, it's it's this thing we get twisted as if we're here to defend God. He's never called us to defend him. It's, you know, Christ in us is the hope of glory. Why is it the hope of glory? Because Christ out of us is the manifestation of glory. If, think of it this way. Spiritual gifts, any of these things, the manifestation of God, right? Think about this. If, I, if Jackson, my son, or Leah, my daughter, if they asked me for a present, just say they said, Dad, we want a, um, an Xbox, or, or we, we want an iPad, for Christmas, um, both of us, we want iPads, and they walk in, and underneath the Christmas tree, because sometimes Patty will put their presents under the tree wrapped before Christmas comes around, a few of them, um, or from other people, and so they come in, and there's this box, and it's about this thick, and it's about that big, and it weighs about what an iPad weighs, and it feels like an iPad, because it doesn't shake, because Apple packs their stuff awesome. That gift wrapped inside of there is the hope of an iPad. But hope that is seen is no longer hope. So when they open it, it's no longer a hope of an iPad. They actually have the thing that they hoped for. It says the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters do the sea. Not the glory of the Lord. This is the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth. How will the knowledge, how will the knowing of his glory cover the earth as the waters do the sea? Is if that hope of glory that's inside of you, as long as that thing's just inside of you, it's the hope of his glory being revealed. Just like as long as that iPad is inside of that wrapping paper, it's the hope of an iPad waiting to be revealed. But the minute it's opened up and seen, it no longer is hope for who hopes for what they have already seen. So these things, the manifestation of the Christ that's in you coming out, is no longer a hope. It's actually the glory of God revealed. And that's how the knowledge of His glory will cover the earth as the water does the sea. It's people who are followers of Jesus everywhere actually allowing what's in them to come out of them. And what's in them is the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. And so... The whole reason, if we lose sight of this for even just a little bit, things get wonky. It's how giftings get abused and positions get abused. And, you know, people have used, like, prophecy. Like, somebody, there's people out there who have heard a word about somebody and then used that to abuse them or control them or manipulate them or to advance themselves and build their own kingdom or to, to lift themselves up and exalt themselves over people. And you notice that you never see that happen with the disciples. You never see that happen with Jesus. Because here's the one Jesus who came, who is love. He is love. He's, he's God in, in human flesh. And He is love. And He came here because God loves. So the whole reason He's here is because of the love of God. 
And he manifests these amazing gifts. He, you know, we see him offer, operate in prophecy, word of knowledge, healing, deliverance, raising the dead. Everything that you can imagine, Jesus operates in it, except for one that's recorded. I never have seen where he's spoken in, in tongues. I haven't seen that, but who knows? Maybe that's one of the greater things that he talks about, you know. But I just haven't seen Jesus ever do that. But here's the thing. He operates in all the spiritual giftings. And yet, when it comes to the end, what does he find himself doing? Down on his knees, washing the feet of the very man who will betray him. Why? Because he wants them to understand. All that stuff is amazing, but this is why I came. Because of love. And I did all those things because of love. And don't ever lose sight of that. And so I think that's why every time Paul talks about spiritual gifts, he makes sure he talks about love. And so one doesn't contradict the other. Him talking about love doesn't mean that you should no longer, you know, he said, I should show you a more excellent way. And then he goes through and talks about what love is. And then right after that, you know, we talked about this last week a little bit. Right after that, the next line after describing what love is, is he's, and he continues, it's, you know, we break it up into chapters. So we read one and then two weeks later we read another. And then we start wondering if this one contradicts that one or that one means this one's no longer important. It's all one thought to Paul. He says, he says, you know, so, and I'll show you, still I'll show you a more excellent way, and he talks about love, and then he goes right into saying, pursue love, yet earnestly desire, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So we're going to start talking about prophecy, but before we start talking about the what, which probably be over the next few weeks, I really want to make sure we take our time with this stuff. I don't want to just blow through this and be like, yeah, we did a series on spiritual gifts, awesome. Because I really think there's things in here that God wants to show us. And that God wants us to actually not just know about, but actually that come deep inside of us and become part of who we are. And so I want to talk a little bit about the why. Um, I, I, th- I think prophecy of any of the gifts has probably been the one that has been made, probably counterfeited, and probably made to be something so different than what it truly is supposed to be. I heard a story of a guy who was running a school that taught about prophecy, and he felt like his time at that school was supposed to be done, and his name is Chris Valentin, and he said that, that he, he saw this guy who just was a really prophetic guy that just loved people, and he said the way he loved and interacted with people just really impressed him, and so he felt when he was praying that he was supposed to take what he was carrying and hand it to this person, let him take over, and he said he did that, and then he noticed over a little bit of time, the guy showed up, and he started growing this long beard, He bought a sob, which I have no idea what buying a sob is, has to do with it, and started carrying a staff. And the way he talked sounded different. And so he went to him one day and he said, hey, uh, what's the deal? And the guy said, well, I just, you know, I thought that if I'm going to take over this, this school, you know, that I should look the part. And he said, no, 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 I picked you because of who you are. You know, like who you are is good enough. You don't have to look or be different. You don't have to grow a beard and carry a staff and don't drive a sob unless you want to. <laughs> what was he saying? He's saying basically, listen, if, if we try to make it something it's not and add theatrics to it, we change it and we alter it. It's no longer the pure thing that it was. And, and, the, and we have to remember, why are we desiring to prophesy it should be for one reason only. The only people who should ever speak on God's behalf should be people who are in love. That's it. The only people who should ever speak and declare the heart of God are people who are wildly in love with Him and in love with the people that He created. Because if we ever separate those two, it'll start to become something it was never meant to be. And we'll start using it for other reasons other than to love people. The goal of our instruction is to become love. That means that everything that goes along with following him that we're instructed in, the whole goal of that is what? Love. And so, um, so I, 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 do, I think that you know, when, when Paul was talking, he said, if I could prophesy and, and, and had the gift of prophecy and knew all mysteries... And, and I honestly believe that, that the reason the enemy has worked so hard to distort and to shut down the prophetic gifting and the prophetic anointing in the church is because there's a lot of things that can only be understood through the gift of prophecy. It wasn't a coincidence that he said, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries. He directly ties the understanding of things that we don't understand to the ability to prophesy. 
And so the devil has tried really hard, and so he, he always does one of two things. Since he can't create, he tries to pervert. So he takes something that God created, which is good, and then he actually tries to twist it and pervert it. And he's hoping that people will become so disgusted with the perversion that they'll shut their eyes and ears off to the entire thing completely. And he's done a pretty good job of it, and we have helped. Getting a spooky voice and talking differently when you feel like you have a word to give somebody doesn't help. It just makes you weird. Listen, he may call you to do weird things. If he does, do them. But don't be weird just to be weird. There's enough weird things in the Bible without God getting our help. He has no problem doing things that are outside of the normal. He doesn't need us to help him out. Oh, that's a good idea, God, since you've told me that, and I know this thing that I shouldn't know except for you showing me. I think I'll change my voice and dress differently, and I'll get really close to their face and blow on them before I speak. He doesn't need that. He just needs us to be obedient. Doesn't need you to change your voice. <laughs> Wouldn't it be super strange if when you talk to me in conversation, when I got on stage and started preaching, I sounded nothing like the guy that you talked to when you were in conversation. You'd be like, hey, what comes over you? Why, why do you do that? That's That's weird. And people may be already a little bit freaked out because God showed you something about their life. The last thing they need is for you to add to it with something that wasn't God. Seriously. And so, if the why is love, I think a lot of us, honestly, I really believe a lot of us hear God's voice. I know all of us hear His voice because He said, my sheep hear my voice and know my voice. That's the difference between His sheep and people who aren't following Him. Everybody may hear His voice, but only His sheep know it. So when He said that, like it was, that's Jesus speaking. My sheep hear my voice and know my voice. Later He talks about the stranger speaking. He said they just won't follow the voice of a stranger. Why? Because they know Him. But there's a lot of people out there that hear these things and don't understand that it's the Father speaking to them. Because we just don't have language for that a lot of times because we have no grid for that because we've been taught, you know, it doesn't happen today. So then when, when God speaks to us, it's just this, well, something told me. Coincidentally. You know, you ever had that happen to you where it's like you're, you're thinking about somebody that you haven't thought about in 10 years and then you run into them and you're like, wow, this is just the most random thing. Earlier today I was thinking, of, no, that was the, the spirit that's inside of you trying to show you something. And if we would learn to actually be sensitive to him and believe that he's wanting to speak to us, when he comes and, and, and brings someone like that to our minds, what we could do is we could say, Father, why are you showing me this? Well, if God wants you to know, he'll tell you, not so fast. Because until Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, God said nothing but a name. So what if God is going to show nothing but a face until we actually give it our attention? And open ourselves up. Because if he tells us not to cast our pearls before swine, that means he's just as careful with his pearls. And why, if he tells us not to give something of value to someone who has no value for it, which is what a pearl before a swine is, right? It's giving something of value to something, someone that has no value for it. A, 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 a pig has no value for a pearl. The only thing it can think of is eat it. <laughs> step on it, you know, roll around on it, scratch your back with it. Like, it has no value. It might as well be a, a, a pebble, a, a piece of granite, or a glass marble to a pig. It's all the same. And what he's saying is, don't take something that's of value and give it to somebody that has no value for it. Well, if he asks us to do that, how much more does he do? Because he never asks us to do things that he himself isn't willing to do as well. So if he will keep his pearls and not give them until he sees that there's a value for them, that's what he was doing with Samuel. He's saying, Samuel, I want to speak to you, but I want to make sure before I do that you know who's speaking and that you actually want to hear. So maybe he's trying to speak, but because we have no, no vocabulary for it, because we have no grid for it, because we've either just been, been ignorant, you know, my people will perish for a lack of knowledge, or because they reject the knowledge they've been given me because we've been ignorant, or we've rejected what he's tried to show us, we've made no landing strip for the voice of God to speak. 
And you can stand there all day long to your blue of the face and say, well, if God wants to speak to me, He'll speak to me. He doesn't need my permission. Well, then why on earth did He keep saying just Samuel's name until Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And then He began to speak to him. And maybe if He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever, He's still waiting for people who He's getting their attention with these little things to turn their attention fully to Him and to create a place for His Word to fall before he hands that pearl over. All you're saying is, God, I value what you have to say. And now all of a sudden, it's no longer casting it before a swine. It's actually giving it to somebody who has a value for it, understands it, and knows what it's used for. The pig doesn't know what a pearl is for. It doesn't know the value of it. It has no use for it. And there's a lot of people who by our turning our back on his ability to speak to us without even realizing it, have said to him, I have no value for it. I don't know what its use is. It means nothing to me. We wouldn't say that with our lips. But we'll say a lot of things with our lives that we would never say with our mouths. But Jesus said, you know them by their fruit. So the value that you have for his word is shown by the value you have for his word. So I, I, I do believe that. I believe he desires to speak. I, I think he does. You know, to say that, that well, if God wants to speak, he'll, he'll only use the scripture. Listen, the, I believe the primary way, we might as well get this out front right now, the primary way God speaks to us is through his written word. Absolutely, 100%, the primary way that God speaks to us is through his written word. However, to say that's the only way he speaks means that he has nothing to say about anything that's not explicitly covered in his word. Meaning he doesn't care who you marry. He doesn't care what you do for a living. There's nothing to ask because all the answers are already given. So when Jesus said, ask, seek, knock, he really meant only in the word. But he never said that. And so to think that God is not where you live. Listen, the, the, the place that you actually plug into as a body of Christ, I believe God really cares because he said, Paul wrote in his letter, he said, now Christ has placed each individual member in the body as he pleases. Meaning what? means he actually cares about where you are, what body you're placed in, that he has a place for you. He actually cares. And if you'll seek him and ask him, he'll show you. Because if you seek, you'll find. If you're really wondering, God, where am I supposed to be? Where do you have for me? Why did you give me this? Like, if you think the only answers you can ever find are in the Bible, then you can't ask him a question about anything that's not covered in the Bible. That's a sad way to live. And we wouldn't say that. But we don't, what we don't understand is that a lot of times our theology creates this divide that we're not even trying to create when we tell people, well, God doesn't speak to people like that anymore. Totally discounting the fact that he could actually have an opinion and maybe even a plan for your life. And that if you seek him, he'll speak to you. Another confusion I think a lot of people have is that, you know, when you say, I... I, I I, I felt like I heard God say this. You, you'll notice, we'll talk about this a lot next week, but you'll notice when I talk about hearing from the Lord, I'll always say, I feel like, or I thought, or, you know, I was praying, and this is what I felt like God said. It, it, because I, I, I never want to come across like I'm infallible, and I never want someone to make their decision based solely on what I'm saying. And I want to leave the door open for conversation. And can I just say this, like saying, this is what God said, unless it's, written in the Bible, and you can explicitly say, this is what God said, or unless you are 100% sure, is a good way to end a conversation. Because there's only two responses to someone saying, this is what God said. Either you didn't hear God, or you did. I either have to, or I don't. Saying to somebody, you know, I, I, next people call you, hey, you know, I'm dealing with this. Would you just pray about this and whatever? You know, you pray about it, and you just get this feeling inside you. And when you say, I felt like I heard God say, a lot of, most of the time, I'm not saying like I heard God speak in an audible voice from out here. Why? Because his spirit is within you. He could, I mean, he could call in an iPhone. 
but he probably won't. (laughs) But his spirit's within you. So a lot of times when you hear him speak, it's going to be through that spirit that's within you. And you just have this knowing. And a good way to 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 check that is, instead of immediately spewing what you hear to somebody, pray and ask him, God, this is what I think you're saying to me. Is this, did I hear you right? And wait for him to, to, to give you a confirmation about that and have a peace that passes understanding. In other words, I don't understand why, but I have a peace about this. So I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, this is what I feel like. So anyways, uh, um, when, when we talk about hearing God, it, there are times where God will speak audibly. You know, it says he spoke and the, they heard him like thunder. You know, like a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son. You know, there's different times where God audibly spoke, but those are a lot fewer and farther between. When you read through the word, even in the Old Testament, a lot of times you would just hear the prophets come and say, it says the word of the Lord came to them. Now that could have been him audibly speaking to them. Like with Moses in the bush, he heard a voice crying out. Moses turned and gave his attention. Even that, think about Moses. It says then when he turned aside to look, the Lord began to speak. All he said before Moses turned aside to to look was a name, Moses. Until Moses actually gave him his attention and valued his voice, he didn't say anything else. And when Moses actually valued his voice and gave him his attention, then he began to speak to him. He said, Moses, take off your shoes for you're standing on holy ground. What did he do? He gave him something to do. Why? I want to make sure that you're really listening, and I want to make sure that what I'm about to tell you, you're going you're gonna to actually do. So I'm going to give you a small thing to be obedient with. And when I can trust you with something small that you'll be obedient with, then I'll continue to trust you with greater things. It's the way God was. It's the way he is. I know some people, I was talking to someone recently, they said, you know, I, well, I just have a hard time when I hear, like, you know, God testing. Like, God knows who you are. It's not for God's sake that he's doing this. It's for our sake. It's so that we actually see where we're at and, and understand our own hearts. God had every intention. He knew exactly who Abraham was, yet he tested him with Isaac. He knew exactly who Judas was, yet he entrusted him with the money bag, even though he's a thief. Why? I believe his intention was for Judas to see the thing that was wrong in his heart that wanted to take from the money bag, because we know that it says in the Word that Judas was skimming from the money. He didn't do that so that he could find out if Judas was a thief. He did that because Judas was a thief and he was trying to show Judas something about his own heart so that he could keep him from greater danger. The test is never for God. God's not in heaven wondering what the results are going to be. He's in heaven hoping that we see the results and make adjustments accordingly. And so he speaks to Moses, he speaks to Samuel, um, even, even with the disciples. He says, follow me. And until they actually give up everything and follow them, he doesn't say another thing to them. Why? He wants our attention. He wants to know that we're actually willing to just go after him. He wants to know that we actually value him. Jesus said, follow me. And he turned and walked off. He didn't say, follow me, and I'm going to, you know, and, and, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do that, and you're going to do that. He just said, in fact, one time he said to another one, he said, follow me, I'll, I'll make you fishers of men. That's it. Well, that makes clear sense. Like, we read that and we go, oh, yeah, he was meaning you're going to preach the gospel and people are going to be saved. At their time, they had no idea what a fisher of men was. In fact, you can just kind of picture the idea they had in their mind of people swimming around in a lake, you know, and they've got cake on a hook and they're throwing it out there or something. But it makes so much sense to us. But at the time, there was no, like, going out and preaching the gospel because the gospel hadn't even happened yet. Come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. That's real clear. But as they followed him, as they did, and they responded to what they did understand, which was follow me, he made the rest of it clear. A lot of times God speaks to us something, and we don't understand all of it, but we understand a part of it. If we'll be obedient to obey the part we do understand, he'll make clear the part that we don't. And if we wait for him to completely explain everything, we may stand there on the boat asking questions while he's walking in the opposite direction. Because I promise they could have said, wait a minute, wait a minute, where are we going? Hey, what does the fishers of men mean th- thing mean? Wait, explain that. And they didn't ask any questions. So he turned and walked and they followed him. They could have sat there on the boat asking questions all day long. He wasn't going to give them anything else until they responded to the thing they did understand, which was follow me. 
Take the part of what God spoke to your life and actually respond and be obedient to it and trust the part you don't understand will be made clear in time. Otherwise, you'll be on the boat asking questions to a man whose back is turned heading in a direction because he has a place that he's going and he really does want you to follow, but you're not following. is not going to stop him from going where he's going. He just have to call somebody else. Reiner Bonnke, probably him and Billy Graham have met, led more people to the Lord. You know, and it's not a numbers thing, but just if you watch a video of one of his crusades from Africa, and it doesn't even make sense. It will blow your mind. The, the sea of people. And he preaches, I mean, he, he preaches hardcore Jesus crucified, the blood of Jesus. There's no like, you know, hey, you guys, you want to make your lives better? You know, to a bunch of poor people in a third world country, who's not going to want that? He tells them, you need Jesus. You need the blood of Jesus to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. You need a relationship with him. You need to be filled with his spirit. I mean, he just goes after it, after it, after it. And so he was praying one day and he was thanking God for choosing him. And he said, he says this in his book. He said that he felt the Lord said to him, you actually weren't my first choice. You were my third. But you were the first one that responded in obedience. I promise you, he's going to have to wipe away every tear from two people when they get to heaven and see that everything that was done through Reiner Bonnke was what they were called to first. We don't want to be there. You don't want to be in that place of him saying, you don't want to be number one and number two. You want to be... Reiner Bonnke in that story. Well, the way that you do is what? He called him to do something. He didn't understand everything he called him to, but he did understand one thing, so he responded to the thing that he understood, and God clarified the rest in time. Don't think that just because you have a prophetic gifting, or you know, someone's even said, like, hey man, you, you, know, you might actually be a prophet you know, to the church, a gift of Christ to the church. That means that you're going to understand everything that God does. It just means that you're probably going to be obedient to the part you do understand. Go with it. Uh, do what you understand and trust Him with what you don't. I don't know why someone needs to hear that today. You need to hear this. You don't have to have the whole staircase. You just need to know that what the first step is. And just trust Him. Trust that you hear Him. Trust that you hear His voice and that you know His voice. And that you won't follow the voice of a stranger. So many people get so hung up on that. Well, if I start listening to things that I feel like I hear and it's not in Scripture, how do I know it's God? We're going to talk about that. There's a bunch of ways. But what about the prophecy of Jesus that said the voice of a stranger, they just will not follow. He prophesied and declared over you that know His voice, they hear His voice and know His voice, that you wouldn't follow the voice of a stranger. So stop worrying that you're following the wrong voice and start following the one that He said you would know. And if you don't know His voice, it's because you don't know Him. So make the goal of your life to know Him, like Dylan was talking about, and you'll never have to worry that you're not following His voice because my sheep hear my voice and know my voice. The voice of a stranger, he said the stranger is speaking, but they just won't follow his voice. Listen, there's no way that God's not still talking when the stranger still is. The stranger is still speaking, so is the shepherd. And our job is not to try to shut one or the other up. Our job is to know his voice. We don't have to know what the other voices are. We know who they're not. I promise you, you can know His voice because Jesus said it. It's as simple as that. He said, he's not, he said His Father is not like an earthly father that will frustrate His children. So in other words, if He said you can know His voice, then you will know His voice. This is all in your Bible. Every single Scripture that I'm referencing, every single one of these, they're all in your Bible. It's all New Testament. It's all, the, the, the letters that Paul wrote are all after the cross. It's not like there was this in-between time where it was like, well, before the cross, you know, we don't know if that's what really... No, this is all New Covenant. And he's talking to New Covenant believers. And he's not writing this letter to the apostles. He's writing this letter to the, to the church at Corinth. Well, 
You know, we talked about it the other week. Well, well, if God speaks to you, then you have to write a book of the Bible. He didn't mention anything to the church at Corinth who he told that they should want to prophesy that if they prophesy, they have to write a book of the Bible. And the church at Corinth never wrote a book. Never. That's a scare tactic. That's something that somebody used to try to shut up the prophetic voice in your life by telling you, well, if you think you hear God, then I guess you better write the book of Roy. Someone told me that one time. They did. It's a scare tactic. It's meant to intimidate you. It's meant to shut up the prophetic voice. It's meant to shut your ears to the fact that God's still speaking to you. You can take anyone that says that straight to the Bible and say, then how come the people that Paul said, I pray but, uh, the desire of spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy, how come those people who he said that about never ever wrote a book of the Bible? Why? Because it wasn't about adding to the Word of God. It was about speaking the heart of God in a moment. You know, people say, well, the book of Revelation says if you add to these words or take away from these words, you're going to be cursed. You're not adding to or taking away from the canon of Scripture, but what if God actually wanted to speak something in a moment that didn't need to be read by everybody in the church? It just needed to be heard by one person. Do you know how many prophets there were in the Old Testament? No, you don't. Because they didn't all write books. (laughs) It's the truth. When Moses had the elders gather, the 70 elders, and they all prophesied, not one of those elders wrote a book. When Saul went up the mountain and started prophesying, and the people said, as Saul now joined the prophets, Saul never wrote a book. Balaam's donkey spoke on God's behalf. He never wrote a book. (laughs) I'm just saying, like... When you take these claims, though, and you hold them up to the, to the total counsel of Scripture, it sounds so absurd to say that to somebody, but there's people who will go around telling people that today as if they're an authority on this thing and say, well, you better be careful because if you claim that you're speaking on God's behalf or that you hear God speak, then you better write a book of the Bible. Nonsense. What you better do is be obedient to what God's calling you to do and speak what He's calling you to speak to whom He's calling you to speak it because that's the only thing He's asked of you. That's it. All right. So um, I was looking at the differences in in Old and New Testament. Um, Hey, uh, we, we have a... Oh, it's Jasmine. Hey. Yeah, you know about the room up here. I was going to say, we have a room up here where you, the baby can go in there and you can nurse them and if anybody else needs to use it during the, during the service. They're hungry. See, you know what? Listen, listen. No, here's the truth though. That baby doesn't know yet that the mom loves it so much she would never let the baby starve. So the baby is crying to let her know that something's wrong. There will come a time in that baby's life where the baby will understand as the baby matures and grows and goes from being a child to becoming an adult that the baby understands the heart of the mother was never to starve it and that the mother actually was more aware of the baby's hunger than the baby even was and cared more about the baby not starving than the baby cared. It's a good thing it's only babies that do that. See, one day we grow up and understand who the Father is and we understand that He actually cared way more about us than we ever cared about ourselves. And that these things that we thought we were praying to let Him know what was going on, that He was very, very aware of, very concerned with. And that, that only because we didn't understand how much He loved us, how much He cared for us, and how much He wanted to be a Father to us. That was the only reason that we would ever cry and scream and worry that He wasn't going to do what a Father does. I promise. And, and it, if your 14-year-old child is still screaming like that when they get hungry, there's two things going on. One, they need to grow up. <laughs> or two... You haven't done a good job of letting them know, hey, I'm never going to let you starve. I promise you our Father has done a good job of letting us know He's never going to let us starve. In fact, He addresses that very, very thing in His Bible. 
He says uh, in, the, in the book of Psalms, it says, never have I seen the ri- or Proverbs, I think, never have I seen the righteous starving nor their offspring begging for bread. What is it? It's the Father saying, I'm never going to let you starve. Never. Not only you, but your offspring. Um, so in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come on people. How are we doing on time? Oh, we're good. If, if you're done before we are, you can just leave quietly. Um, but, but the Spirit of God would come on people in the Old Testament and, and just come upon them. The Spirit of God that only filled that we know of, John in, the, in his mother's womb before the death of Christ. We only know of two people that were filled with the Spirit. Um, it was the son of Nin who was filled with the Spirit in order to be able to construct things and, and um, work with metal and wood for the building of the altar and all that stuff. And then John, who was in his mother's womb, and it says and when, he, when he heard the sound of Mary's voice greeting his mother, he leapt within her womb and was filled with the Spirit. That's the only people that we know of. Other than that, the Spirit would rest upon people. And, and, and the Spirit could actually leave people. Remember when Saul didn't do what he was told to do, Samuel came to him and he ripped his coat and he said, if you would have done what God told you to do today, says the Lord, I would have established you on my throne over my people forever. But because you have done this thing which is wicked in the sight of the Lord, his presence has left you. His spirit has left you and now will rest upon another. That's why David was praying, Lord, don't take your spirit from me. Why? Because he saw what happened to Saul. He was like, man, I, didn't, I never want to end up in that place. Lord, please don't take your spirit from me. And so the spirit would rest upon people and the word of the Lord would come to them. Like Samuel, it says that the word of the Lord was rare in those days and it had not yet come to Samuel. And so when Samuel's sleeping, he says, Samuel. And he runs to Eli, here I am. I didn't call for you. Samuel, here I am. I didn't call for you. Samuel, here. Listen, the next time he does that, Say, speak, Lord, for your servants listening. And all of a sudden, the word of the Lord comes to him, and now he's established as a prophet. And so he speaks to the people on God's behalf, even though God had already given them written commands of what he wanted from them. This idea that God speaks through things that are written and through his voice being a New Testament thing is crazy. Because even in the Old Testament... He had, they had written commands carved in stone. Yet he also spoke to them through his prophets. And so it's not like you know, there's this tension that only exists in the New Testament of the fact that there's a written word and God still speaks. They had to deal with the fact that there was a written word and yet God still spoke back in the Old Testament times as well. So the Spirit of God would come and it would come upon someone. They would be a prophet and they would speak on God's behalf and they would say, you know, thus saith the Lord and they would declare things and, and they were told to test the prophecies. And you know, the, the truth is, is if prophecy wasn't true, if what they said wasn't the Lord, the command was at, in different places, then some places it was to kill them, to stone them. Guess what? And people use that, you know, the, the, to threaten people as well. Well, you better be right because you know what the punishment for getting a prophecy wrong is. Well, guess what? In the Old Testament, if the priest went into the presence of God and wasn't perfect, you know what the penalty was? It was death. How many of you guys walked into the presence of God today and are going to walk out of the presence of God today and are thankful that it doesn't rely on your perfection for you to live? But we don't threaten people with that. You've never seen someone stand out in front of a church and be like, hey, just so you know, the penalty for entering the presence of God with sin of any kind is death. You want to come in? (laughs) You've never seen that happen, I promise you. But some of the very people who will tell you that about prophecy would never stand in front of their church and say that. Hey, uh, just so you know, Billy, you might not want to go in there because you passed me today on the highway and I was doing the speed limit, meaning you sped, meaning you violated the law, meaning that you violated what God said about submitting yourself to the authorities that are in the land for they're there for your protection. You have sinned right now. You may think it's minor, but he doesn't. And if you go in there, there's a chance you may drop dead like a stone because you know what the penalty is, right? We thankfully have forgotten all those things. The child was wicked. They could 
kill the father. You know, we, a lot of those things, we, you know, but, but for some reason, people hold on to the one about prophecy. I'm not saying that God doesn't want us to speak accurately on his behalf, but what I am saying is that we have to understand that we can't use an Old Testament uh, consequence to threaten people to keep them from walking in a New Testament reality. And next week we're going to show that in the New Testament, sometimes people just didn't quite get it. Sometimes people spoke things that were from themselves and said, I think I have the Lord on this. You know, Paul wrote that in Scripture. Paul said, I believe I have the Spirit on this. What was he saying? I'm not sure, but I think this is what God's saying. It's okay for Paul. It's probably okay for us. So the word of the Lord would come on them. And I think back then, because the Spirit of God wasn't in them, I think most was outside in. I think it was probably easier in their day to distinguish what's the Lord and what's my own thoughts. I don't think they had quite the struggle that we do nowadays. Because, you know, the Spirit of God is within you. And you have your logic. You have your reasoning. You know, and those things are not evil things, right? Like logic and reasoning, to an extent, is it's a gift from God that we can use them. They just can't go against what, you know, God's wisdom. But... But they didn't have, I don't think, the internal struggle that we have of trying to understand, okay, I, I feel like this is what God's saying because it was everything was, exter- everything was outside in. The Spirit rested upon them, not in them. So it was outside in. So it was probably a lot easier. It's just my own thought. I think it was probably a lot easier for them to be able to, um, um, to, for them to be able to distinguish what was God and what was their own thoughts. But in the Old Testament, it was only the prophets who could prophesy. And then every now and then when... It wasn't a prophet. See, I think God's always been into this thing of let's not make it a formula. Like, why does he have Saul, who's a king, go up the mountain, meet prophets? He said, when you go up to the mountain, you'll see prophets. They'll be coming down the mountain prophesying, and when you see them, you'll begin to prophesy with them, and God will change you into a new man. Why? What's he saying? My prophets prophesy, unless I tell someone else to. Because he doesn't want us to make this formula that says it's only this person, it's only that person. And not to mention, at now, he says, and Peter says, you are all a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Before, only the high priest could come into the presence of God. Before, only the prophets could prophesy. But now everybody, because of the blood of Jesus, can actually boldly enter into the throne room, into the presence of God. You no longer need an intermediary, for we have one who is our high priest Jesus, who ever lives to make intercession before the Father on our behalf. Since we have that, we can boldly come into his presence. Boldly. Well, in the same way, because the Spirit of God is now no longer resting only on individual people, but actually within everybody, maybe this is what uh, Peter was talking about on the day of Pentecost when he said, in the last days, says the Lord, I will pour out my Spirit on all... Fo- How many of you believe that we're living in the last days? How many of you think that we're living in a different time besides the last days? Okay, we all won. I'll talk to you after. <laughs> the last day, no one knows who it is, but the last days began when Jesus came and died and was resurrected, and now all that was needed for the fulfillment of all prophecy had been done. That meant now the Lord could return at any time because it was the last prophecy that had to be fulfilled before his second coming. And so in G- Paul, uh, Joel, um, Peter is speaking on the day of Pentecost, and they, you know, everyone thinks that people are drunk, and they're speaking in tongues, and people are hearing them in their own language. And, and he says, these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only noon. I think that's so weird that he said that. Like, if it was night, maybe they'd be drunk. I, I, I mean, I'm just saying it's in there. I don't know why he said it, but he was, maybe he was just saying, like, guys, think about it. It's only noon. Like, like he knows that they wouldn't be drunk at night either because they're following Jesus, and he said not to be drunk with wine. But, but I'm just saying, like, he used it, I think, just as, like, you know, for people who don't know who they are, you know, don't understand their character, don't understand how much they, they value holiness and, and being set apart. And he says, these guys aren't drunk like you think because it's only 12 but this is what Joel, the prophet, prophesied, that in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And he says, amongst other things, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Everybody now who has the spirit of God inside of them has the capability and the potential to prophesy. Because all that's necessary is the spirit of God speaking something to you and you opening your mouth and speaking what he's saying. 
So the Old Testament, it was just a few people who could enter the presence of God. The New Testament, everyone can enter into his presence. The Old Testament, just a few people could prophesy. The New Testament, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. That's Ed's, everybody's included. It's not just men anymore. There's no, like in the Old Testament, I don't know of any female prophetesses that are named. But, but in the New Testament, they talk about it, right? Deborah? Yeah, okay, so Deborah, there's one. Uh, thank you, Lisa. <laughs> I get in trouble sometimes I say that because I'll start talking about something. I'll say, I can't remember, and then there is one, obviously. But um, so anyway, so the, but, but we're going to close up with this. But this is what I want us to, to understand is that in the New Testament, you'll hear some people when they talk about prophecy say, well, you know, we, we never see what's wrong. We only speak what's good. And, and I get what people are saying, but I just want us to see the first time that God opened his mouth and spoke something. It's in Genesis chapter 1, and I find it in my notes here. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless, desolate, and void, empty, and darkest wickedness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. The first time that God speaks something, is in reaction to what he's seeing. The Spirit of God is hovering over the surface of the earth, and he notices that it's dark, it's empty, and it's wicked. That's the original Hebrew words that he uses there. There's chaos, there's wickedness, there's emptiness. And so he says, let there be light. And light comes. He spoke a word that changed what he saw in response to what he was seeing. And a lot of times God will call us to speak to people in response to things that we see. And it's not to focus on what's wrong with them. This is, I think, one of the major differences between Old and New Testament prophecy. Is the Old Testament, Nathan the prophet would come to King David and he would say, this is what you did and this is who you are. In the New Testament, let's just read real quickly, Paul writing to the people. They're in a church that's kind of gotten into some junk. And he says, or do you not know that the unrighteous, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. Such were some of you, but you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. A little while later, in the same chapter, verse 16, he says, Or do you not know the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside his body, outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own, for you have been bought with a price? Therefore, glorify God in your body. So here's Paul. He's talking to them about some things earlier in the, in the letter. He's talking to them about things that were going on in the church. He says, there's immorality going on in the church so much that it's not even talked about hardly. It says, a man has his father's wife. What was he saying? He's saying, guys, listen, there's some stuff going on. And it's not just like, you know, gossip and slander, although he talks about that too. It's not just boasting. He talks about that right after. He says, guys, someone's sleeping with their mom. And so he's talking about this stuff going on in the church and then he's talking about things that are happening. And he says, do you not know, you know, that the unrighteous will not inherit and all this stuff? But then what does he say to them? He says, with such were some of you. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant, when we're talking to people who are born again, we're not identifying them by the things that we're doing. But we don't ignore the things that they're doing either. Paul hears about stuff that's going on. He's, he's writing this letter in response to knowing there was actually things going on that were wrong. He doesn't ignore it. He actually openly addresses it. But what is his way of coming up with the solution to it? Is it to say, what is wrong with you guys? Look what you're doing wrong. I can't believe this. You're such 
gross, immoral people. Oh, you disgust me. You deserve to go to hell. He doesn't do that. He says, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. What's he saying? Guys, that's not who you are anymore. That's who you used to be. Why on earth are you living like the guy that you used to be? And later on, when he's talking directly about immorality, what does he say to him? He says, or do you not know? What's he saying? Like, guys, the only reason I can think of that you wouldn't be doing this is one of two things. Either you don't know who you are or you've forgotten. Because he, he tells them all about immorality and, and abstaining and fleeing and all that stuff. And then he says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Spirit of God that lives in you? It's holy. What's he saying? Guys, you can only do these things if you don't know who you are. The only way you're capable of doing these things is if you don't understand. You're holy. You've either forgotten or you don't know, but in either way, I'm going to speak a word to you that's going to either teach you truth that you don't know or remind you of truth that you already know. And I'm not going to call you these things and label you by the mistakes that you've made. I'm going to label you by the truth that Jesus Christ speaks over your word because the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of, Cain, of Abel, which cried out for justice. So in the new covenant, when we're speaking to people who are born again, it's never talking to them and identifying them by the things they're doing wrong. We talk about the things they're doing wrong if we need to. That's another error. You know, we have these two ditches that we get into. It's like, well, we just, I, we just don't see anything wrong. We only see the good because we see all things by the Spirit. Listen, seeing according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh, can go both ways. Because there's going to be plenty of people who on the outside look like they're coming in the name of Jesus and are coming to do something good. And if you're seeing according to the flesh only, you'll be deceived. So you need to see them according to the Spirit. It doesn't mean we only see good because that's all that God sees. Paul obviously saw things that were evil and wrote to them about things that were evil. We don't ignore the things that are evil, but what we don't do is we don't lose sight of the fact that that's no longer who they are and remind them of the truth. What was the end result of it? He said, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have um, from God, and that you're not your own, for you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. What is the result of understanding who you are and being reminded of who you are? and who you belong to, that you will glorify God with your body. So as we dive into this stuff, and we, next week we're going to talk a lot about the, the hows. You know, there's, there's word of wisdom and word of knowledge and what is actual prophecy and what's just exhortation. Because a lot of stuff gets called prophecy that's not really prophecy. You know, it's, it, it is revelatory. It is a gift from God, but it's not actually like prophecy as in the biblical term of prophecy. And we're going to talk all about that stuff. But this is something I never want us to lose sight of before we get into that is the why are we doing it? Why? When we're speaking on God's behalf to people who are born again, we're doing so to remind them of who they are, of who they belong to, and of why they were saved. And even if that means we have to address something that's going on in their life, it's never to condemn them. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn you. I didn't come to condemn the world. I came that through me the world might be saved. Then he said, as the Father sent me into the world, so I also send you. Meaning what? You're not here to condemn people. You're here that so through you the world might be saved. Through Christ in you, through you speaking on his behalf, people might actually be saved. So the goal of speaking to people prophetically, no matter how it manifests, is one thing. To love them. To show them how loved they are by the Father. To remind them of who they are. To teach them truth they don't know or remind them of truth they've forgotten. Because Paul is convinced that if you understand who you are, and you understand how you were purchased, and you understand who you belong to, if you know those three things, the end result will be you'll glorify God with your body. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this just exciting time that we have to, to really dig into your scriptures. And 
I pray, God, that, that as we spend time with you this week, God, that we would be aware of the fact that you want to speak. God, that we would not just hear your voice, but we would know your voice. God, that we, you would forever silence that we're going to follow the wrong voice because you, Jesus, declared that a voice of a stranger we would not follow if we know your, you and know your voice. God, I pray that we would all know you and know your voice so that when you speak, we could be like Samuel, we could be like Moses, we could be like the disciples and respond to what we understand even if there's part we don't believing that in time you'll make all things clear. I thank you for that. I thank you for your Holy Spirit in our lives. Father, I thank you for Jesus and the price he paid on the cross so that we could become new creations in him, capable of being a temple fit for your spirit, cleansed and holy because of the blood of Jesus. I just ask that you would never let us forget that, that as we discover these things and learn these things and pursue these things, we would never lose sight of the goal of every single bit of it, and that's to become like you in your love. I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.